In his book entitled The The 100, the astrophysicist Michael Hart asked a very provocative question. Who are the most 100 influential people in human history? Of all the human beings who have ever lived, who has had the deepest impact upon our lives today? Another way of phrasing it would be, who is on the small list of historical game changers? For example, Hart's list includes Sigmund Freud, the originator of psychoanalysis. Now, we may not like all of Freud's theories, but he opens up this entire new field of, of human endeavor called psychology. And now we all use words of, and phrases like ego and Oedipus complex and, and death wish. Hart's list also includes Louis Pasteur. According to Hart, Pasteur ushered us into the realm of modern medicine. He um, convinced the scientific community that these, there's these little things floating around in the air called germs that they cause human diseases. Pasteur also figured out how to inoculate human beings so we don't get you know, these terrible diseases. And the fact that we're sitting here alive and well is in some measure owed to this French biologist and chemist who lived 150 plus years ago. But what's really kind of interesting about this book is that Hart ranks the top 100 game changers. He, he established sort of an NCAA playoff and ranks them from 1 to 100. And sure enough, Jesus Christ, as we would hope and expect, made the list. He said that Jesus was the inspiration for the most influential um, religion in history. Hart even wrote, quote, Jesus had an extraordinarily impressive personality, which is a nice compliment. Based on Jesus' impressive influence throughout history, Hart ranked Jesus as the third most influential person in history, right behind the scientist Isaac Newton, who you may know was a devout follower of Christ. In one sense, Hart was attempting to answer a question that every person, every single person who has ever lived needs to answer. What will you make of Jesus? The answer, the way you answer that question will affect everything about your life. Depending on how you answer it, you'll use your time, your talent, and your treasures differently. All of a sudden, you'll rearrange your calendar and your, and your checkbook in a different way. It's going to mess with the way you talk with people and who you talk to, how you treat people. Uh, it'll change who you hang out with. It, it'll change how you walk through pain and suffering in this world. It's a critical question. Who is Jesus Christ? What will you do with him? Let's take a look at the first time that question was posed. It's in, from the passage that <clears throat> Lee read just a second ago from Matthew 16. In verse 13, we read that Jesus comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, now the Son of Man was a, an Old Testament phrase that Jesus used of himself quite frequently. And uh, so he's saying, what are, what are you hearing out there on the streets? What's the word? What are people saying about me? Who do they, who do they think I am and what I'm about? And the disciples answer in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So let's break this down. Uh, the first answer is they say uh, some people think you're John the Baptist, which is a curious answer because if you know something about John the Baptist, he and Jesus are cousins. John the Baptist is six months or so older than Jesus. And John the Baptist had been killed recently. And so some people apparently were reasoning like this. Jesus is doing amazing miracles. He's multiplying bread. He's healing people. He's walking on the water. 
Uh, the only way he could do that was if he was John the Baptist. He's the last prophet that we've acknowledged. He was a good guy. He's come back from the dead, and he has now these sort of a, you know, superhuman powers. The disciples say that some people are also saying that Jesus, maybe he's Elijah, the prophet Elijah. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Malachi, who's the, the last prophet, the last book in the Old Testament, uh, there's, there's a, a prophecy that before the great and terrible day, the end times come, that a figure, an Elijah-like figure will appear. And some people are saying, well, that, that must be Jesus. Others are saying, no, he really reminds us of the great Hebrew prophet Jeremiah. You know, he was one of our most famous prophets. He, he wept and he cried. He suffered for us. Uh, so the, the, the wisdom uh, uh, was that, uh, around people that maybe this was Jeremiah. But either way, people were thinking, Jesus is a great prophet. He's inspired. He's inspiring. And he has a really extraordinarily impressive personality. But Jesus doesn't even really respond to that. And he turns in, in a sense, he says, okay, enough about what other people think about me. What do you, what are you going to make of me? What do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? It's a personal decision that the disciples now have to face. It's not an academic discussion anymore. And we have to face the same question too. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter answers in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Another word for Christ is Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the Son of the living God. And that's a much different answer than the ones that other folks are saying. So the, 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 Peter is saying, you're not just a prophet. You created the prophets. You're not just inspiring. You are the inspiration you are the game changer. You are in a completely different class from everybody and anybody else. You are the son of the living God. And Peter realizes as he gets this divine revelation from God, is, is, is that to compliment Jesus and say, well, he's a great teacher. He's a wonderful rabbi. He's a difference maker. He's one of the top 100 influencers in the world is, is actually an insult. It's like saying of Abraham Lincoln, well, he was a, he was a pretty good lawyer. I mean, the reason Lincoln is on Mount Rushmore is, is that he set a three and a half million slaves free and then he saved the Union. And if we don't get that, we really don't understand who Lincoln is at all. And Peter is saying, I get it. You're the son of God. You're beyond category. Now, now you can't blame um, Michael Hart too much on this list because of all the figures in this book, Jesus has the greatest range of possible views about him. Let me explain. For example, with Isaac Newton, there's this relatively narrow range of possible views you can take on Newton. The, the low view of Newton would say, he, well, he's one of the most influential scientists of, modern, er, of uh, early modern Europe. The high view of Newton, which Hart takes, would say that Newton is the most influential scientist of all time. So, Influential in this time period or the most of all time. You know, not a huge range. But with Jesus, there's this range of options stretching from a reasonably interesting moral teacher to the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, all of a sudden, Jesus is not on the list. He, he created the people on the list. He gave them their talents. He gave them everything they had to work with. For example, Newton. He discovers the motion of the planets. He was working with the planets that Jesus created. 
when he held up, Newton held up the prism and light came through it. And it broke into the colors of the rainbow. He was amazed that light becomes the colors of the rainbow. But Jesus already knew that. Notice the response from Jesus to Peter's statement about Jesus. Verse 17, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't learn this from any other human being. You didn't figure this out through your intellect alone. You had a direct insight given to you from God. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked us that question, and he doesn't want to hear what our parents have taught us. He doesn't want to hear what our pastor thinks. He wants to know what you think. What do you make of Jesus Christ? Who do you say that he is? You know, sometimes very smart people don't want to face that question because of what it might mean to their life. For example, at Duke University one day, a student came up to the chaplain there at the time, Will Willimon. And Willimon knew the student and knew that he was living that whole kind of crazy secular college campus life. And the student said to him, Dr. Willimon, you know I'm losing my faith. And Willimon said, well, tell me what kind of faith you're losing. And he said, well, I find my faith insufficient. I am unable any longer to believe in the virgin birth. And Willman said to him, you don't believe in virginity, period. You see, if you were willing to accept the moral demands of following Christ, you would find it very easy to accept the divine revelation about him, but you don't want to pay the price. And because you don't want to pay the price, you fall back and settle for the easy answer, the no-commitment answer, the answer by, by, educa- by education. Who do you say that I am? And according to the Bible, God has set it up so that that we cannot know him primarily through education. We can know him primarily and first and foremost through revelation. Now, don't mistake me. We are to, to pursue truth. We are to seek to know him, to understand him better, to use our intellect and gifts to seek truth. But God reveals himself to us. We know him first and foremost through revelation. You see, God leveled the playing field so that nobody can boast before him. You can't say that access to God depends upon your genetics, your IQ, your zip code, or your socioeconomic level. Jesus based our relationship with him on just one thing, humble belief. That's what Jesus means when he says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding those things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Or that's what Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians. God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. See, what God wants is humility and humble belief. And if we've got that, we can know Jesus Christ. We can know who he is. We can understand who he is. We can live with him and by him and through him and for him. And starts with humility. It starts with falling on our face before him by seeking him through prayer, by reading his word, by seeking to obey his commands, by reaching out in faith. You know, our fall series has been entitled Always Ready, and, and we're looking at different questions that people sometimes uh, object to about the Christian faith. And one of the questions you often hear is, wasn't Jesus just a, you know, wasn't Jesus just a good teacher? 
Wasn't Jesus just you know, a special prophet or, or a mythical figure? Wasn't Jesus just a, a revolutionary leader? Wasn't Jesus just a, a religious nut? But the Jesus we see in Scripture is, is more than all those answers. I mean, when you look at his teaching, the accounts of his life, the response of his disciples after his death and resurrection, the Jesus we see in Scripture is, is more than just a. I mean, for example, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament predicts where Jesus would be born, from what tribe and family, how he would be born, how he would die, and even his resurrection. If you look outside the biblical records, Greek and Roman authors and historians from Jesus' day and shortly thereafter refer to Jesus as a real person. They describe his teachings. They describe accounts of his crucifixion, accounts of the resurrection, and how the early disciples lived in response to their understanding of who Jesus was, the Son of God. And then certainly we have overwhelming numbers of people throughout history who have been changed by a personal encounter and relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot just easily dismiss Jesus as just a. And so in the end, the decision about Jesus Christ becomes very personal and unavoidable. Is he the son of God or is he um, some misunderstood Palestinian rabbi? Is he the Lord and master of all risen from the dead? Or is he some crazy religious lunatic? I want to submit to you uh, from C.S. Lewis' writings three alternatives uh, regarding Jesus Christ. Lewis writes that Jesus has to be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. First, liar. He says Jesus might be a liar. Perhaps he wasn't telling the truth after all. If so, then Jesus falls into the category of religious charlatans who come along from time to time selling spiritual snake oil to the gullible. But, he says, if Jesus is a liar, then he's the biggest and most successful liar in history, since to this day over one billion people have followed his lies. And if you look at his teachings, they do not sound like the ramblings of a liar. Lewis says, maybe he's a lunatic. Let's suppose that we desire a more charitable judgment of Jesus. Well, he, maybe he wasn't meaning to mislead people. Maybe he was well-intentioned, but he was deluded. Maybe he thought he was telling the truth, but he was deluded. If so, the question remains... How could so many evidently normal people follow a madman for so many centuries? How could so many positive things happen in the world and society through the teachings and and the followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, lunatics gain a following for a time, but eventually it dies out because they're found out. And then thirdly, Lewis says, Jesus might be the Lord. A man who said the things Jesus said was either liar, lunatic, or he was and is the Lord from heaven. And if he is the Lord from heaven, and I believe that he is, then we dare not remain neutral. We must answer the question, who do you say that I am? What will you do with Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we're grateful that you reveal yourself most completely and perfectly in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can look to Jesus Christ and understand you and know you. That we can look at Jesus Christ and experience your love and your forgiveness as we trust in him. We can look to Jesus Christ and know that we have new life both now and forever 
when we put our trust in him. So Lord, help us to settle in our own hearts and minds the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? And help us, Lord, to be prepared to answer that question in the affirmative. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we offer ourselves to you in your name. Amen. Just stand as we respond to the word we just received.